0: our sponsor facefacegames.com the number one place to get your magic the gathering singles uh this week the weekly sale is fifteen uh, percent off everything from the vault uh, not only singles but sealed product as well so definitely go check that out as well got a reminder for the calgary open plus for this saturday um Tonight is the last night for on-site pickup. We always tend to get a lot of messages from people throughout the week. Uh, when's the last time I can make a, a last-minute order so I can just pick it up and finish my modern deck? Tonight is the night, so if you're listening, might as well make your order while uh, watching the show because uh, it's going to be too late. Um, often people miss out.
1: We've got a full crew tonight, okay? We've got Andy, Derek, and Elliot in the chat. Wow, um,
0: wanted to, before we continue the show, we'll have uh, John Medina on. Hopefully, he's he's attending some family duties, so he'll either be late or, or hopefully, he'll make it. Hopefully, he'll make the show. Uh, we might we might have to go extra late for him to come on, but we do want his take on Ultimate Masters, and uh, but we're, we're definitely going to get into some standard. But before we do that, going to talk about our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/firststrike. Uh, Things have been uh, sort of like up and down for, for, for Strike over the past year uh, with basically due to family, other outside of the game commitments, Rob having a second kid, uh, Brian uh, moving all the way to Seattle and obviously starting the, the game podcast, joining the game podcast rather, with Jerry. So a lot, lots of turnover. And finally, we, we solidify with, with Andy and Derek. And then we, we added Final Nub just last week. So, and I got married this summer, lots of busy outside of the magic stuff, but, but now we finally got a core group to, to move forward with. And, and last week we just released, like, uh, from our core group, three deck guides. We got Andy with the blue-red Drake set that people wanted to hear about because he wanted PPTQ with it. We got Miss Bliss Changer, Trophy Master with uh, Golgari. We got his sideboard guide, deck guide. Uh, it's not just a cyborg guy. They actually go through their choices and why they're making those choices. They've got uh, four different matchups, and on top of that, General Knows for the decks themselves. And final nub, known for Grisholt Brand, he provided some Modern Spice, and he provided his dredge deck list, as well as how he approached uh, different matchups in Modern, and we've already got some early feedback from people in the nation that that liked to see that and thought it was pretty in-depth. So, while... This is a huge draw. I just want to remind people that ultimately, that the Patreon is for this show. It's uh, despite having a sponsor like like Face to compensate somewhat for these gentlemen, the time these gentlemen put in every week for me on the show. Uh, we still need more. If like we can get like Andy a, a new mic for Christmas, that would be sweet and stuff like that. So. The show is the main focus so whether it's one dollar five dollar ten dollar whatever level it's it's a huge uh boon for us and for the ten dollar level we just wanted to offer something extra you know that people would want and so that's why i, I definitely tweet about the, these guides and, and and tweet about them, but some people like are turned off because they don't even listen to the show, and they think like you know we're charging ten bucks you know just for these guys, but that's not really the point. We're just trying to give back to the people who really support us. So you know, ideally, if you're a patron of First Strike, you like the show or enjoy the content that we produce, which is essentially the show. So with that out of the way, I had tweeted out Derek a video clip from last week talking about how he could consistently beat almost any deck in standard with green black outside of the Phoenix deck. And I was just surprised to see uh, Andy tweet at Derek's like, hey, green black probably sucks. How sucks. And then Derek replying, tweeting back, you're probably right. I was shocked to hear that, but Derek clarified the situation. So...
2: Yeah, I, uh, I just finished streaming, and then I log off, and I go to queue up again, and of course, I get paired against Andy. And I think, I can't remember if Andy was on the player draw, but he most of five. I keep four land, squire, uh, fine finality, Chubacabra, and proceed to draw land, 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 elf, land, land, squire, land, land. And Andy kills me on, I want to say, like, turn seven, with three phoenixes in play on the multi um, five, and then game two goes pretty good for me, and then game three he he beats me in a pretty close fashion. I want to say, and then a couple minutes later, I get a nice little mention from Andy. Green black sucks, and in an extremely, I want to say, sarcastic fashion, but I guess it didn't come across that easily. Um, I said, "Yeah, probably." Uh, sort of like, can't beat a deck on a mold of five. What am I supposed to win against? You know, like how, how do I ever expect to win an event if I can't beat a deck on the mold of five? And, uh, yeah, it seems like everybody from everywhere just got out their phone at that exact moment. Um, I'm pretty sure like Brian was still at work. Like it was probably like, oh, I, I guess he, he just like does Patreon stuff all day. So maybe he's just on Twitter too. I don't know, but he, he was waiting for that, that moment for somebody to come at me about this deck and and it's like it's like he was watching you know um uh, but yeah uh, <laughs> anyways green black is still better than that phoenix deck don't play
1: the phoenix deck <laughs> <laughs> the,
3: the the catalyst for me posting that is i was watching derek stream and he did not do well in the only league that i watched and then he shuts his stream off and immediately i get paired against him and and it wasn't just a multi-five i didn't play land two until turn five i discarded yeah. the hand size I, I just did nothing
2: i like i think i went i went three two four one two three two three today in like the worst possible fashion just like my opponents played cards that were good against my deck and i didn't have the answer that i put the answers in my sideboard fire and just didn't draw them I'm like wow i look stupid for not having answers for these cards when i have like 12 of them in my deck so i go okay like I guess I'm just gonna lose like that, and then like I just get paired against Andy and proceeds to mollify. I was like, "Oh, finally, my time. The Moto gods have has presented this gift to me." And then,
1: you know, I get scoreboarded out of anything. So, uh, you know. So, despite the results today, despite your mediocre (laughs) mediocre results. Where do you
0: stand on Green Black? Is it the best deck heading into the Pro Tour this week? Uh,
2: I I want to, for the record, say that I honestly believe there's no best deck. Um, I do believe that Green Black is the best deck to win week to week, but I don't think Green green Black will win every single week. Um, And I was thinking about this before the show. Uh, I think that Green Black the white weenie decks and the Phoenix decks are going to be the most represented at the PT, but I don't think any of them are going to actually win the PT. I think it's going to be some other random linear strategy that people don't exactly have on their radar right now um, because all these decks are focusing on green, black, green, black's focusing on trying to solidifying them, solidifying itself. And then you have these other decks that are just like, I don't care what you guys are doing. If you don't have to hate for me, I win sort of like the fog strategy. Um, I think that like fog is really good against those three archetypes specifically. If people aren't prepared for the fog archetype, fog can win. But I think fog in general is significantly worse than it was last season, but it can it can sort of take over a metagame like that. Um, and I think that's that's sort of my prediction for this weekend is there's uh, there's sort of like a rock paper scissors meta game going on right now with a bunch of decks trying to beat green black and green Black trying to next level them and like losing to the next version that's beating Green black and then you have these random other decks like Mono Red and Jeskai Gate that are winning GPs on the weekend. But like if
1: you look at all the other data in the top 32 deck list, there's no copies of these decks anywhere to be seen, right? So I think that's what's going to be happening this weekend. Hmm.
3: Andy, do, do you agree with that assessment? <clears throat> I think Mono White, or sorry, White, white, white Weenie, Splash Red is going to win the Pro Tour. I think that people have not had enough time to figure out how to beat it, and there won't be enough lists posted on how to beat it. So, like, if you looked at the Mox results, that was a hell of a showing. White Weenie slash uh, Boros Weenie or whatever was, at least in my overview, by far the, the best-performing deck. And there's not going to be another good dump to show everyone how to beat it. So, the pros might figure out how to beat it, but they might just play it because people aren't going to be able to take a lot of information from Moto to figure out how to beat it.
1: Oh, so what is this deck? Is
3: it a new one that just, like, appeared? It's sort of new. It just, it got, people decided to stop playing really awful cards, and then it got shown as a very good deck. It's very consistent and fast.
2: I think, um, I think what happened was, so people were trying to play this deck before. It's like early in the format, the red deck was one of the first decks that was sort of popped up because people knew how to build it. This token deck is, like, sort of not that great against the red deck because of Chain Rollers and, like, good removal spells. Um, And then you have, like, the green-white deck. Eventually, green-black gets found, and everybody sort of gravitates to this mid-range grind fest. Soon after that, you have the Phoenix deck sort of pop up, and these Jeskai Control decks trying to beat the green-black deck. The great thing about this white-weenie deck is that it's probably the fastest deck in the format, and I think it consistently beats the Phoenix deck and is consistently good against the Jeskai deck. Although it's like not as good against Green-Black on paper, you can definitely just run them over some amount of time because the deck's very clunky. So I think like the deck isn't necessarily new, but the metagame shifted so much that the white deck went from decent to god-awful to one of the better contenders in the format because everything sort of like shook out and find it, found its place. As for power level, I think the deck is like pretty low power level. But like it's it's very aggressive and very consistent in the way it plays and not enough people are adjusting yet.
1: So I think that in general, like it it steals a lot of games that it probably shouldn't.
0: Do you like do you like Andy's prediction?
1: No. I think okay. I think um, <laughs> if there's one thing I, I've learned about
2: uh, Pro Tours is that they're very sort of inbred metagames. And I think that the moment that someone like me or Andy figures out how good this white weenie deck is people are going to either play it or put like eight eight cards in their sideboard for it and just try to beat it which is like one of the easiest way to beat these white weenies weenie deck right just put eight cards in your sideboard for it um so i think that that's what people are going to do and so you're going to see like a couple weenie decks sprinkle through and then and who knows maybe the people playing white weenie don't know how to draft that's always something (laughs) you have to think about
0: (laughs) Uh before we continue, I don't want to skip over this. So we have to roll this back to your PPTQ win. Congratulations, Andy, for taking it down. Just, just tell us about your day, your win.
3: Well, I uh, was going to play a Goblin Electromancer version, but uh, I'd been talking with some very good friends of mine and decided that I would play uh, this version despite not thinking it was better. And then I played in the tournament and... Like, Enigma Drake was just infinitely better than Goblin Electromancer would be at all times. And I killed so many people with Maximized Velocity, it was outrageous. It was They would, like, stabilize, and I had... There's games I played against White Tokens where I just, from no board to 19 to them by just going, like, Drake, Velocity at Velocity at Shock, you bring back two Phoenixes, kill you. And honestly, the, the deck was very good. People in my metagame were absolutely not prepared for it. So I just went three o double draw and then three o the top eight playing uh, white red goblins in the finals for with uh, three fiery cannonades and I cannonaded them off the planet a couple times, but uh, yeah. So I think the deck's very good, and I was very surprised with how good the one drops, the one drop cantrips were, and how relevant they were. It really came up. I was playing against uh, rekindling phoenix, so I'm typically a card very good against uh, the Drake deck, and I just gave all my Drake's first strike, I gave them all Trample, and then I just attacked and killed them. So, honestly, the deck's very good. I think it's, it has to learn to adjust to this white deck because the deck kind of messes around the first couple turns sometimes. So I think you actually just have to like play more removal in your main deck and maybe play some crazier stuff in the sideboard, like Dual Shot. I, have, I do have a Dual Shot in my sideboard right now will it be good the second i two for one somebody you know what's going on twitter
0: (laughs) elliot what's what's your uh experience with standard been
4: uh so i already mentioned in the chat i've been playing boros angels uh uh before grand prix new jersey i did a bunch of testing i played a few quite a few leagues with jess guy i played a couple leagues with some weird decks like big red and the green white angels deck and then i was just pretty lost i Checked the deck dump at Thursday when, on Thursday when I was at work
1: and I saw, um, I forget his name, the motogrinder who won the mocks uh,
4: playing White Red Angels. Budakov. Yeah, Budakov playing White Red Angels. I'd played that deck like three weeks ago, right at the start of the format. I was like, all right, I'll just register these 20 Mythics and see how it works out. Uh, I ended up top 16 in Jersey and I thought the deck was just like, obviously incredibly powerful when you ever managed to curve out and you had just like a free win factor against black green, which was a huge percentage of the metagame last weekend or sorry, like two weekends ago. Uh, so I think that that was like really the deck you want to be playing. Then I ran it back this weekend and it was kind of just okay. And I think going forward, it's probably a bad choice. Um, as the guys were mentioning, I think the Boris weenie deck's actually like very good. And I don't know how many people are going to be listening to this before they register their decks for the Pro Tour. But if you're unsure, that's like definitely one of the best options you have. If you're playing a PPTQ this weekend and you've played very little standard or unsure, it's a very good deck choice. Um, I don't know if I'd I'd be so bold as to say it'll win the Pro Tour. I guess if, if you're thinking of registering it, you better hope it's going to win the Pro Tour. Uh, but I think it's a super solid choice. It's definitely what I'm considering this weekend. And uh, I think that black green is dead.
1: Oh, I love it. I definitely like the Elliot and Derek, uh, go on. Um,
0: any, in a chat between me, you had found, up. Uh, I think you said you probably say blue, red, <laughs> Derek might say green, black, but, but I feel like the consensus seems to be at least to people at the PPTQ level to play this new deck.
3: Uh, at a PPTQ, I think it's uh, probably right to play white, red, because, let's say half of the field pays attention to the moto metagame that leaves the other half of the field just having no clue what's going on and you're going to run them over so fast. And yeah,
2: yeah. If I was a a PT group pre TQ grinder, I'd play Phoenix or white red this weekend. I think, I think uh green black takes too much hate and your, your average player isn't going to be able to like find those perfect 15 card sidebar
1: sideboard cards to be all the hate or like, be able to beat the mirror consistently enough.
3: Yeah, I agree. White red, very, very good deck. It's like we, like we can mostly all agree that all the decks are similar power level, which is kind of the cool part, best part about the standard. Like all the tier one decks, there's none that are head and shoulders above the other, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, had, I uh, played Forney on Moto the other day, and he, he made a comment about having to call the Honor Guard and uh, mentor the Meek in his deck and they were in play at the same time. It was just a complete non-bow. And uh, I was like, wow, your deck kind of sucks. He's like, yeah, here's the trick. All the decks suck. And I was like, you were definitely right on that one. And I think that shows, like, that's that's how good this format is. Like, I think that makes this format nice. Because now I don't have to worry about my playing the wrong deck. Or, like,
1: I, it means that all the effort I put in makes uh, makes makes uh, better results i guess
3: <laughs> i did play against someone who had a takali honor guard and then they cast siege gang commander
2: <laughs> my favorite is against the white decks where they go like play takali honor guard tap my whole board play an elephant it's like sweet thank you for not attacking me this turn <laughs>
3: That Elephant is one of the weirdest cards I've ever played against. It's so good and so bad at the same time.
2: Oh, that card is literal trash. Every time my opponent casts it, I win in three turns because they didn't attack me for a turn. I, I like They, like, pump their team for a turn, and I gain 10 life.
3: It's great. So what, ha- what happens to me is they make their X2s, X3s, and then I can't cannonade anything.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I, all my, my deck only cares about X4s. So that's your problem
0: do you have to update your, your hugs bets? Uh,
1: Derek, what's your, what's your prediction for the top eight? Um, I'm definitely, so there's, I I think like if I had to, if I had to predict something, be like two, two blue, red, um, three tokens,
2: some white, some red, white, maybe a green, black deck or two. And then like a random control deck. And, uh, maybe some other random archetype, type, maybe like a mono red deck, like that person six out X4 constructed or something. I don't know. Um, pro-, pro tours are very, very weird. I-, I was actually having this conversation today with somebody. Um, I think that uh, top eight deck analysis are like really poor metrics for data. And I think that uh, the pro tour actually is one of the worst metrics for data, but it has the most amount of influence because the the metagame is so inbred on in the pro tour, but so many people see the pro tour top eight as like a good metric for data and start copying these deck lists that it warps the entire metagame down the line. So like you should be able to read this as like, oh, these teams were just playing this deck or like this guy 6-0 draft or this guy five one draft. He probably should be in like a constructed top eight anyways. And then you just have these people just like copying these deck lists and like it, it sort of like skews the metagame in like a, a backwards way than you would expect, right?
3: So I don't know.
1: I, I I'm not very good at Pro Tour uh guesses, I guess.
3: <laughs> that that point reminds me of like every time Shouta to Yasuoka top a pro tour, just zero people copy his deck list. <laughs> if they just move on like it never happened. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it doesn't gain that that huge of popularity, though. Um, pretty sure I've, I've played a few of his decks. Man. I think
3: people just understand that he just snipes metagames at the pro tour and builds his deck just for one event. And the next week, he's not playing that deck either. <laughs> or like uh, the the control
2: sociopaths that like copy a Waffle Tapo deck, where like Waffle Tapo like went X three and constructed, and it's like man he broke control and then you see no control in the top 8 of any GP for the rest of the season like <laughs> yeah like nobody else is playing these random like one of sensor in their decks right
1: because they're not insane like, come on get it together
0: um, so one, one last thing about the PT I wish of course team face to face games well especially Edgar and the gang Shaheen and the gang uh, Ely and the gang. We, are, like, we have so many friends, so many people that have been on the show m- some multiple times. And uh, it was also cool to see Edgar crush once again this past GP. Fortunately, he didn't have a great day too to, to make it to top eight. But he showed off some impressive play on camera. So much so it prompted David Rude, your friend uh, Derek, I don't know if you saw this, uh, I think he tweeted it on Facebook or, or he messaged me that he's got to be the top Canadian-constructed player right now. That, that's how much praise Rude had. I think,
2: I think uh, and it was very very weird, because um, <laughs> like, I, I agree with, with Rude to an extent. When he sent me that message, I was like, man, you got to calm down. Egger's like, really good with this deck. Egger's probably played more hours with this deck than anybody in the entire world. And, like, if he's not making these plays, he's a donkey. Like, I, I would take Edgar off, like, my top five Canadian list in a heartbeat if he wasn't winning this match, you know what I mean? And, like, not to talk down on Edgar, but I honestly believe that he should win that match no matter what if he's putting this amount of time and effort in. And uh, Deirud, like, comes, comes off the deep end and is like, whoa, like, I was blown away with these plays. I'm like, man, Deirud, like you got, you got to assume that if these people are making these plays, or they're just going off with magic, you know, like th- there's like, there's like no chance you play this amount of magic and you're this bad. Right. Like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't go as far as saying like, Eggers the best Canadian constructed magic player, maybe we'll see after the PT, you know, or after a couple of weeks uh, after Milwaukee or whatever. But uh, I don't
0: know. Uh, Elliot, did you tweet that or, or someone else tweet that? No, that's
4: the David Root tweet.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> David Root's a damn. I'm gonna say it. At Edgar MTG is a beast. Basically, told him to take that advantage bar and shove it up your ass. And we've we've seen other people when when the match was going, it was like holy crap. I saw a lot of these tweets going on my feed, and so excited for for Edgar. Uh, wish he, he top it again, but anyways, he's he's likely gonna have. Hopefully, a strong PT performance. I look forward to that. Uh, I've Gotta have the root back on the show if he's gonna throw in some like hyperbole stuff that, that we love here on this show. Okay, moving on to um, today, and what were they finally announced? The, the sentencing, uh, the, the banning amount uh, time for Dan Lantier, and, and wanted to get Andy's take first. Um, three years. Uh, the early reaction for some people. Some people were like, man, finally, it's like the, the longest in recent memory, if, if not ever. I think uh, someone in the game discard I was chatting with said Betcher had more like four years or something, and Lancia gets three. But others are like, there's no consistency, and a lot of animated pictures of dartboards and <laughs> were, were on Twitter.
3: What's your assessment, Andy? Your, your first strike at this? Uh, well,. I would rather he be gone forever, but that's exactly what uh, the the great murder king himself, Dan Lanthier, would have wanted. But uh, three years is better than I assumed he was going to get, so I guess I'll take it. I thought he was going to get one and a half, so this is twice as long as I had predicted. But hopefully it just deters him and he'll never
1: come back. Uh, Elliot... Uh, so credit
4: where credit is due, I'm stealing this quote from Kale Thompson who said that Watsi wanted to give him six months and he asked for a permanent suspension, so he split it right down the middle and gave him three years, uh, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Uh, uh, I was actually hanging out in Derek's chat when he was streaming when I found out that it was a three-year ban. And kind of my first reaction was, it's like three years is basically a permanent ban anyway. Like, I th- I think there's 0% chance that he comes back after three years and tries to keep playing Magic, especially keep playing Magic at like a high level. Like, you know, if he wants to draft at FNM in four years down the line, I don't really care. But at this point, like, any career that he has or tries to have down the line is just totally dead. So I'm I'm fine with him getting three years. Obviously, I wish it was longer, but you win some, you lose some.
1: Derek, what was the uh, early reaction from your, from your chat? Or yourself uh somebody somebody mentioned it in chat, I was like, oh uh three years that's it's a long time like uh I didn't think he was going to get three years. I thought he was going to get like eighteen months or maybe like
2: two years or something uh three years, I think is a good sentence. I'm happy about that one
1: um I don't know if they've ever banned anybody for a non-violent, non violent non like
2: extreme threatening circumstance that I know of. So like, I think three years is like the cap that they normally give for things like cheating and stuff.
1: Uh, so I think like, that's, that's good for me. Three years is a long time. Yeah. Um, and there were, there was other news. There was other, was there any controversial names that, that popped up?
2: Um, there was that. I don't, I actually don't know. um the, the kid, but his chat says his name is Aiden Breyer. I read about this on Twitter. Um, supposedly, from what I've read and what I've investigated, he he got a year suspension for having counterfeits in his deck, but the deck that had the counterfeits was a borrowed deck and wasn't actually his cards. And I also read that judges don't, like, people don't normally get year suspensions for things like counterfeits unless the judge believes that they were there on purpose. Um, So I think that somehow the judge must have believed that. Um, Supposedly, like, he has no past uh, offenses, no other problems. He's done events with charity and stuff from what I've read on Twitter. Um, Personally, it sounds like maybe there was a bit of a misstep or a mistake or there is a miscommunication in the judge. Um, report, like, I think if you find counterfeits in somebody's deck, they should be disqualified, whether they're purposely there or not. Um, The disqualification, on the other hand, is something that DCI should handle themselves, and obviously an investigation was taken care,
1: uh, happened, and they came to this conclusion, but I think something went wrong along the ways. Okay, I think... I think John's on his way, so let's, let's, get, let's approach some of these uh, Ultimate Masters topics,
0: uh, namely the GP that's coming up in Vancouver. Uh, we had, you know, it, the final nub, or boy, uh, a little disappointed about the fact that, uh, man, I, I don't even remember the details of this that clearly, but Las Vegas, GP Las Vegas didn't go well at some point, I think. And you guys can correct me if, you're, uh, if I'm wrong. DCI reported a crash or something, and they had to reboot and took a long time to fix the event so much so that day one ended like well past 10 p.m. And some people, or maybe, I guess all participants, were given a golden ticket they, they could use to cash in to enter another GP. And you know, John had decided to cash it in for GP Detroit. And now we find out that you could have cashed it in for a more high value event, which is Vancouver for Ultimate Masters. And we've got a mutual friend called Warren Smith who confirmed on Facebook that, yep, he, got, he was able to register with a golden ticket, which leaves a lot of feel bad for, for John for Final Nub. So, so Andy, what, what
3: do you think about this? <laughs> what do you feel for Final Nub? I don't know. Like, <laughs> not really. <but laughs> because. It's already insane that they're letting anybody use their free roll on this like 1.5x the price GP. It's like all upside that Final Nub missed out on, I guess, but whatever. He's going to go anyway. <laughs> he should have seen it coming.
0: He should have seen it coming. Uh, John Stern said, I get that some people are excited about UMA and $50 drafts, but it would be nice if announced formats weren't changed. After people have booked flights and made plans to attend a premier event to that, Eric Froelich said, it's real, real bad. Sam T, I wonder if Air Canada will take that excuse so I can cancel my flight. So a lot of people unhappy with this late announcement.
1: And would you say this is more justifiable than, than Final Nub's complaint, Andy? Sorry, pardon. (laughs) He's talking about the the change in format. Oh, the change in the format. So so late
2: before the GP, because it's like a a GP. It's,
3: It's rough because GP Vancouver, as it was, would have been like, I feel like it would have just been one of the lowest attended GPs in a long time. I don't think it's like a great location for a GP. So them switching it up to hopefully like get more people coming, like having this crazy format there is kind of a cool thing, but it really does suck for people who already booked a flight. Like I I don't feel too bad that it's 50 more dollars because whatever, if you're paying for a flight to this place and eating out all weekend, 50 more dollars doesn't suck, but it does suck for some people. But overall I would say that, I don't know. I wish they wouldn't do it, but I see that they're trying to make sure that it's a successful event. Because I, I was really doubting its success if it was like limited or team limited, just a normal one.
1: Derek, any, any chance you would never go through
0: this? Or are you planning to go?
1: No, van, van, like flights to
2: Vancouver are just way too expensive. And like I could probably fly to England for cheaper. I don't know if I actually can, but I think I'd rather fly to England even if it was like within $200. It's
1: like not really worth it for me to fly to Vancouver. Um, not to mention, like, there's not really much going on out in Vancouver that I know. And, uh, oh. yeah, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> imagine. I just like, like Ontario is where it's at in Canada. What? Sorry. You
2: know, all you do is praise Montreal every chance we mentioned. Montreal is just like better Ontario. Like Montreal's not even part of Quebec. Like, like, the majority of people don't speak French. Okay, maybe not the majority. That, that was a bad statement. A good amount of people just speak English. Like, I, I talked to at least 10 people trying to get a coffee, and they're like, I don't even speak French. I'm like, hey, me neither, you know? Like, why do you live in Montreal? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, they have GPs in Calgary, and there's not a lot going on out there. And they have GPs, and, like, they had one in Quebec City, and that was kind of garbage. It was way too cold. And, they have some in Vancouver, and, like,
0: that's neat, but, like, uh, I wouldn't go out to Vancouver for them, so. So, Andy says that there's a chance that they, they might salvage or increase uh, whatever attendance um, they might have had. Do you see it that way? I've seen, like, even in the game Discord, uh, the activity, there's some people are like, man, do I have to register right away? Is it going to get sold out? Hmm. Any thoughts on that from, from you, uh, Derek or Elliot? Uh, I think if
2: you're going to a UMA GP, you are not a competitive player and it would not matter whether that was a GP or they just like, they would probably just buy an extra box of UMA anyways. Right. So like, I don't know if it actually raises the the demand for the GP because the competitive players who now see that it's UMA. I'm like, I'm not going, I don't want to go play UMA. And then you have these like ADH players like, Oh my God, a UMA GP. Did you know that I could get, uh, <laughs> like this, you know, I could get a Caracas. I could play a Caracas unlimited. Like what? You're just, you're just like paying $500 to play Caracas unlimited. Is that fun to you? No. Like why are people doing this? This is ridiculous. Like, this is like the, the worst experience
1: ever. I don't know why they would make this a GP format. Elliot, do you agree? Uh,
4: I think it's actually pretty harmless that they switched it to UMA. I think that the people who get to play UMA are going to be really excited now. I think that the percentage of people who are affected by like, like you said, John Stern tweeted and Sammy T replied, like the percentage of people who have booked their flight two months in advance and like, are not just going for the kicks of going to play a limited Grand Prix or playing a Grand Prix in general. Like, it's just so small. And I feel like, especially with how GPS are now, you know, you have the PTQ on day two, you have like double of double up events on the Friday and the Saturday. Where if you're like, you know, a sort of mid range player, where maybe UMA is an interesting you, and you just want to go and play a Grand Prix and try to win some money kind of thing. You can play the double ups, you can play the PTQ and get your shot at the pro tour then. And if you're either like a pro who's trying to get pro points to maintain their status, then you're going to play the main event no matter what format it is. It's not, it's not a very good excuse. And if you're on the other way, all the other way side of the spectrum, like Derek was saying, where you're a commander player who wants to open their Caracas for their EDH deck, then you can play the magic fest Vancouver and get open your UMA packs. And not to mention $150 Canadian is a lot for a Grand Prix, but I crunched the numbers and it's actually a fantastic deal. If you were to take the entry that it cost me to enter GP Montreal and just like add in the additional cost of the UMA boosters, I'd be paying $190. So all of a sudden they're giving away $40 for free. (laughs) <laughs> you get forty dollars. You win forty
3: dollars!
2: Forty dollars goes into your pocket. Yeah, just, you also get really. the
3: playmat.
1: You get the yeah, playmat. Like the
4: playmat's nice, they have some nice benefits.
1: Why can't I play GP <laughs> Vancouver every weekend? This is <laughs> insane.
4: I just think that for the for the bulk of players, either it doesn't really matter that they don't get to play the Grand Prix, because they get the experience of going to that event anyway. Or they're thinking they're going to think it's really cool to play this super hype master set. We've seen forty cards, and all forty cards rock. I can't wait to get into that later. This set's oh, going to be man. awesome.
3: You're such a casual. Oh my gosh. It it hurts me to my core to agree with Elliot, but like one hundred and fifty CAD is just not much more than a standard GP. Like <clears throat> I would expect to pay like one twenty CAD for a sealed GP.
4: Yeah, so, like I paid. I paid 90 Canadian dollars to enter Grand Prix Montreal. After the conversion, I paid like 94 Canadian dollars to enter Grand Prix New Jersey, paying 150 dollars for a a, a master set. Not to mention a master set that's more expensive than our standard one. Seems pretty good.
3: Yeah, Der- Derek's too competitive for the Grand Prix scene anyway. All he wants to do is play hundred-dollar heads-up matches in the basement of Lucas Ciao's house or something. What?
2: What? No, don't associate me with them. Come on now. Uh, I just like, GPs are just so overrated right now. I think, I think like they need to change a bunch of things for me to enjoy them for the main event, for the side events, for all this stuff. Like if I was looking at value to play a GP, I would just play side events. Like everybody knows that the values are in the winner boxes are in the challenges are in those like weekend passes. I'm trying to play a GP so I can queue for the tour and get on the train. I don't want to do that at a UMA
1: GP. This is like waste my time 2018. You know, it's like, it just seems like a waste of equity. (laughs) Um, Elliot, online has there
0: actually been a lot of people? I haven't seen that on my feed. A lot of people complaining about modern in general. Is that the the general sense that people are getting? And uh, what's your take
1: on that?
4: Oh, for modern, I think that people are always complaining about modern. It sort of just, like, comes with the state of the format where 50% of the people are going to say that Modern's at its best, and 50% of the people are saying that Modern's unplayable in an unsalvageable format. Uh, I think it was was maybe particularly bad with Creeping Chill getting printed because Dredge is, like, always one of the most annoying and worst decks to play against because interacting with it is so polar. Uh, And my take, and I posted this in the First Strike Nation, so... Uh, basically I think that modern should either be the wild west where we allow everything or modern should be like super policed where we ban a bunch of things. And right now I think it's a lot closer to that first one where it's where it's like the wild west. And I think that's fine. You know, people who come out and play modern have that expectation. They're going to get to do their thing. If their deck functions, they're going to turn three or four kill and do their cool thing. And if it doesn't, they're going to get turned three or four killed by a cool thing. And if that's the if that's the magic you want to play, more power to you. Uh, if you don't, then standard exists. Go
1: play that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think modern is salvageable. I don't think modern can ever be what, like, I want it to be. So I think just let it be whatever the hell it is.
2: People yeah, love it. I think that's super unfortunate because, like, The more and more I watch Modern, the more I actually think of like when I used to play Commander before I got competitive, and it's just like, oh, I have five Degenerate combos in my deck, and you better hope you stop me, or else we're going to sit here for 20 minutes while I go off, and you're going to have to play Commander with me. But that's the format, you know, and you can't go to a GP without like playing against Lantern or playing against Amulet or playing against Blood Moon or playing against Dredge. And you're like, oh, I have all these humans in my deck and I have just super sweet synergy, but I'm actually playing the fair deck and I just get run over, you know? It's not fun for me.
3: Yeah, it's like not great as a competitive format, but it is actually very fun to watch. It's like, it's very fun to watch and it's very fun for casual people, which is just like, means that it's never going away. Like when you watch Modern, you're like, all right, this guy's got these two cards at play. If he gets the third piece of Exodia, he's, it's over. And the other guy's like, well, he has this one piece of interaction, and then he's going to put together Exodia. And that's kind of modern, and it's exciting to watch because you get to watch people die uh, all at once <laughs> for the most part, and people love it. People can't get enough of that stuff.
4: Yeah, I have the modern RPT coming up next, next month. I kind of have no idea what I'm going to play. My friend recently sent me a blue-white control deck that had three rest-in-pieces in the main deck. So if, if, that's, if that's allowed to work in Modern, then maybe Modern is, is a treat. Uh, if, if you wanted to move Modern to a more heavily policed thing and, I don't know, ban some Dredgers, ban, some, ban Blood Moon and Staring Ridge, I don't know, uh, then like maybe people will enjoy it a little less, but more people will enjoy it at that lower level. Maybe that's better. I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to end up getting very frustrated for a very long time and probably end up trying to do the most broken thing. Maybe the, key,
3: maybe the key is to just make a new format for the people who don't love Modern, where it's just only Jund mirrors, where you have to register the same 75s and slap it against each other. That's the whole format. Imagine paying $100 for
2: a GP to go play the same 75 against somebody for 15 rounds, and then you can just complain the entire time that you got unlucky. Oh my gosh, they made this for me. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for this format. Please, can we have some more?
1: Oh, I would pay 200 dollars for this. This is my source of entertainment. Oh my gosh.: <laughs> They just need to make a Jund Master set, where it's a sealed
4: format, but like you just get a Jund deck every time.
2: No, No, Jund, Jund Master is too small. It needs to be just mid-range. You just like gamble on what mid-range deck. You're gonna get it from the mid
3: range masters. You're like I opened four lingering souls, baby.
2: <laughs> I'm a dual land.
1: I'm gonna play it. <laughs> two for ones.
3: Two for ones. Yeah. I've got 30 removal spells in my pool.
1: <laughs> I got them. I got the busted
4: mythic guys. Blood brain Elf. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have one win condition.
1: <laughs> 40 ways to bring it back.
4: <laughs> okay. Dude, my pool. My pool's garbage. I got four thoughtsies and four Inquisitions. I'm never gonna win the mirror. <laughs>
0: right. uh, Medina's still on his way, so we're going to take a, a question from First Strike Nation member. Finance, Aaron, finance. M. Aaron uh, Evenson, if I, if I butchered your last name, please tweet at me. Uh, it's for all of us and might take some, us a bit of time to answer. Uh, what is one thing, he wants to know this, what is one thing you contribute the most to your growing as a magic player, and what advice would you have for someone? wanting to improve this is a recurring question i feel and it's very really tough to answer um with just like one specific thing Uh, i don't know elliot just seems like he's got an answer already that face (laughs) uh
4: well it was super easy for me what i did is i got to become friends with andy and then i attached on to kale like one of those weird things that suck onto sharks And I would just ask him a bunch of dumb questions like every single day. And eventually he would start answering some of them. And I just got kind of good at magic by by just being around better players. I think that's like a tool that not everyone has available to them. But I've I've seen like a big uptick in coaching available by like kind of SCG people. So if you're looking to get better at magic and you you don't have like a support group of good magic players around you, that's something to look into. Uh, Yeah, try playing with people that are better than you
2: yeah those uh those fish are called shark shark suckers or uh remora i think remora is also called a sucker fish so you could be like a mystic remora
4: yeah i'm a big sucker fish
2: yeah i wasn't going to say that i thought that would be pretty offensive if i said that to your face but you calling
3: yourself that is fine i
1: think in this in this day and age yeah okay
3: well i do think elliot is correct that like I think a lot of it has to do with putting like aside any ego you've you've garnered with like whatever middling success you've had, and just understanding that you could probably learn something from everybody, and you can learn even more from people who are better than you. So you should just always be asking questions. And I struggle with this at times too. It's like when someone brings up a new idea, if I don't think it's very good, sometimes I will dismiss it, and that's certainly like a weakness of mine. And I think it's important to sort of consider everything even for, for a little bit, as much as you can, like obviously you don't want to waste your time on like horrifically bad ideas, but also you don't want to miss really good ideas. So trying to balance that intake of information is actually pretty difficult, but I think it helps when you do it with players who are better around you. Like I'm lucky that I hang around with a lot of pretty good players and we play magic essentially together every single day via like the internet just play on discord and and google hangouts and we do it every day
2: i think uh i think one the first thing is you have to you have to identify what skill level you're at so you have to you have to know what you're already good at and then figure out what you're bad at because like you you can play with good players all you want which i think is a very good thing that you should be doing but you have to realize what you should be working on so like if, if you're really good at deck building, maybe you need to work at your gameplay. Or if you're really good at gameplay, maybe you really need to work on deck building. Or maybe you really need to go work on deck selection. Um, one of the things that I found recently, actually, that Keith and Edgar have helped me with is card evaluation. And understanding why I put certain cards in my deck and why I play them. Instead of just being like, oh, well, this card's a removal spell or this card's a bomb sort of thing. Um, sort of like evaluating different cards in a different angle. I think, like, asking questions is great, but also, like, trying to come to your own conclusions about why you want to be playing certain cards is also important. So you're definitely going to be put in situations where somebody might not have the correct answer or, like, in limited, for example, you're drafting and you have to, like, come to your own conclusion about something. I think, like, if you can evaluate where your skill level is at, you can, uh, you can figure out what you need to improve
1: on quicker than just uh, asking people questions and hoping to get the right answer all the time. I mean that works. All right, I'll, I'll wrap it up with uh, this. This answer makes me think of Elliot and
0: a, a discussion about a specific card. I forget what it was on the show. It was like sort of controversial, but I think I was the only one that to get Elliot and to be on his side. But for me, uh, improving it felt good to improve when I could concretely say exactly what uh, concept or which concept I learned or which concept. I've increased my understanding in, and um, the example that really comes to mind, and, and that's related to Elliot, was was card advantage and virtual card advantage, and thinking about those, and because I used to panic all the time because of maybe other cards games I've played where I was so scared of being two for one, and I was trying to get two for ones at all costs, but then it evolved into like, hey, not all cards are the same uh, value. You, you don't have to be that afraid. Then it evolved to like. Okay, a person, your opponent drawing certain cards at a certain time, it's more valuable depending on on the situation. So, for example, lands that they draw off the top, play in the game. They, for some decks, it might be completely worthless, or in some cases, limited, completely worthless for them. So, you shouldn't be that scared. And then there, there's that out that maybe they just break on a bunch of lands. So, like thinking about all these concepts and be able to just right now just talk over like how I evolve my thinking of them makes me like, because it, it just shows it's not just a guess. I know that my understanding of these concepts have improved. And so, again, I forgot what the card we're debating over, Elliot, but uh, shout out to
4: you. <laughs> it must me. have been one of the surveil cards, like a Sinister <laughs> oh, yeah. it was,
0: it was No, it was, it was Doom, Whisper. Doom
2: Whisper. We're arguing about Doom Activating Whisper.
4: Activating it is like almost drawing a card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you said but, if I
2: pay two life, I'm drawing a card. And I said, that's not how that works. Even if you mail two cards on the top of your library, you're like, a couple of times. That's, you're not drawing a card. You're just like, if it just dies, like sometimes you'll get value out of it. And you're like, nope, every time draw five cards, surveil a million. I have 40 life always, and I blame Commander.
4: Look, I've I begged Canister to explain virtual card advantage to you, and he said you were just too dumb. So here Listen, Canister, if
2: Canister can't win a GP, he's obviously not smart enough to teach me anything. Okay? So that's the facts
1: right there.
0: All right. Now, without further ado, we finally get to introduce my man, who is now. The, the list of banned words that I had banned for him is now listed for
5: tonight. Is
0: it, is it words <laughs> or they finance, money and something else.
5: And Jay Bush, I think it was. <laughs> and
0: successful are words <laughs> that he can now add to his vocab using his vocabulary tonight. Welcome finance expert, all-around amazing guy, Jonathan
5: Medina to the show. Welcome back. Hey, what's up? What's up? Thanks for having me on, man. First strike nation strong. Strong. Sorry I'm so late. Uh I had some stuff going on. So uh, you know, really, really apologize for that. So
0: we we've just like saved saved up this moment to talk Ultimate Masters. Um we we haven't said Ooh. much of the uh GP change and how it affected people like John Stern and, and Eric Frolik and, and Sammy T where were of course unhappy about the situation, but let's focus on the set itself. It, it, it dropped, the news dropped on Monday. They talked, Watsi talked about how, you know, this was the last masters, I guess for a while. So they, they want to leave it with a big bang. Right. Early reaction, John, like, did you knew, uh, know this was coming?
5: So first of all, I didn't know it was coming. I'm pulling up my notes here from the press conference or whatever they had. Um, They said, uh, man, what was the words? They said this really neat phrase about uh, the ultimate masters, like something like we're pulling out all the stops or something like that. Um, So what we what we found out was uh, this weekend, people were getting those box topper cards. Right. There's a lot of mystery around those cards. We didn't know uh, what the distribution would be. Some of those cards were going really high like hundreds of dollars because people just wanted it and they didn't know what it was or, you know, and so they jumped the guns, bought, bought those things. I think some of those orders will be canceled now because now we know those come in every box, right? So, you know, it's uh it's kind of funny, you know, that that happened. But so we didn't know what happened till Monday. This came out. They dropped, they they went through all the box toppers, which is there's 40 of them. Uh, 20 of those are mythic rares. And then uh, two are uncommon. And then uh, I'm really bad at math. I think it was 18 rares, right? Or something like that, whatever was left. And so that's what we know about the set. Okay. Um, now, there's a lot of uh, people like not happy about the set. They're it's just like, I'm scratching my head because I'm like, wow, this set looks like it's going to be like off the chain EV. You know, like, <laughs> why would you not just buy all this stuff? You know, but <laughs> there's some people who are like, oh man, I'm not happy. The money, you know, it's so <laughs> expensive. Because one thing that Wizards did do is they raised the MSRP. So the MSRP right now is. or something like that per box. And so to me, like that doesn't matter because it's like, first of all, who cares, right? Either the the MSRP doesn't matter because either they're going to, they're going to book, it's going to be above the MSRP or it's going to be below the MSRP. It's not, it's really rarely ever going to be the MSRP. Right. And so what we're already seeing out the gate is that these boxes are selling for like as low as 225, which is like a, like hundred and ten dollars lower than MSRP. So like why is everybody crying? You know, it's like there's no, you know, there's no problem here. You know, the the, the set uh, so when I say it's packed with EV, is like somebody said, not not only the person that you you know, you sent me a, a DM. I'm not gonna name the guy, right? But the guy you sent me the DMs is like, oh yeah, we don't know anything about the set. Well, we know plenty about the set, right? We know first of all, it comes with a lottery card in every box, right? And so Like the lowest of those lottery cards is like what? Lava claw reaches, right? So lava claw reaches at this foil with this foil treatment is what? At the lowest, like probably when the set settles and everything's said and done, it's probably like a $35 card. Okay. But like right now when the set comes out, it'll probably be like a $50 card or a $60 card. So that's like $50 on the EV already. So say you buy a box at 225, right? The lowest like box topper you're going to get is like 50 bucks, right? And that's like the lowest. So if you get like a demonic tutor, then it's like 250 or 300 bucks, right? That's like the whole box. The whole box is paid for. Okay. It's like all it's done. It's over. You made money already with that box topper, but let's pretend 50. Okay. So you open this box topper, you get $50. So now you've bought this box for a $175, right? if you got them for 225 now not everyone's getting them at 225 right now like the average is 299 still below MSRP so like you know you're you're getting it for 250 the box and they have all these great mythics and the mythics are okay maybe i shouldn't have led with that because that's a problem right the, you know not everybody opens mythics right so the mythics you can't judge the EV of a box based on the mythics the thing that like the EV of the box the power is in the rares okay now the uncommons they're great but what usually happens with uncommons when you get power uncommons in a set like this they just drop in price like they just get washed out right so and it happens so fast that those uncommons don't get to really hold the value of the box okay but the rares those erode slowly so you got stuff like demonic tutor at rare um that's like a 40 it was a 40 card what is it now i don't know 35 30 dollars maybe as it starts to fall down, but still like something that's $40 at the rare slot, celestial colonnade, another four, that was like $50, you know, um, all of these things at the rare slot are going to prop up the box of the, the, value of the box. And this happened with uh, guilds of Ravnica. Okay. So my friend, I had this little talk with him. Uh, maybe I shouldn't go into too much details, but we were discussing him getting me some boxes. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I want them all. I want all the guilds of Ravnica boxes. And he's like, well, why, man? They're, all, the, all the sets that Wizards releases, you know, they're terrible, you know? And I'm just like, stop being a naysayer, dude. I'm like, look, there's a rare land cycle. There's Shocklands, okay? Shocklands are in the rare slot. They're going to hold up the value. Then you had Assassin's Trophy for $25. And I'm like, even that alone, Shocklands and a $25 rare is going to prop up that box value. Now we're looking at this this Masters. Okay, yeah, the box is much more expensive, but look at all the, the expensive rares we have in here. So, like, I don't know. I don't get it. Like, why is everybody sad? You know, it's like they're... And Wizards is just going to dump a bunch of stuff in there because they want this to be successful. That's the thing people are missing. They want this to be successful. The, the thing is, is like... Wizards says this is the last master set that we're going to put uh, for a while. Okay. So do they want the last master set to suck? No, they don't, they don't want you to remember the last master set was a disaster, like iconic masters or something. So they're just going to like overdo it. They're just going to be like, ah, let's just cram it all in there. Put the box topper throw in a, you know, there's 40, there's a, is there 20 mythics? That's not unusual. Did you know that? Cause usually there's 15. Why they put 20? There's 20 Mythics in this set. They put an extra five cards so that they could put more Mythics, you know? Uh And I kind of have a theory about that. I don't know if this is going to happen, but wouldn't it be cool if there's there's 20 Mythics so that the Mythic rarity is shifted? So maybe there's not one in every eight packs. Maybe there's one in every six packs. <laughs> like... whoa wouldn't that 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 would be insane now no don't get excited okay i don't have any any like real information about that but it made me scratch my head i'm like wait 20 mythics that's unusual why would they do that you know so okay i'm gonna stop talking so you guys can jump in because i want to hear questions and thoughts about what i just said Too good. this is too
0: good too good you going around uh, as well as derek all caps some of my bad words like finance and then throwing <laughs> like GDP and stuff like that. ROI.
1: <laughs> ROI.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Derek. Um, wow. The energy is high. Um, quick question. One of the uh, trending topics on Reddit is that the, the Reddit. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the box poppers are searchable? Like you can see through them. People yeah. Like warning, warning not to buy them from like eBay or anything.
5: Yeah. Insert paranoia. <laughs> Everything is searched, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could probably, I, I saw a, a video, I think, uh, James Chilcott magic finance guru. Um, <laughs> he showed a, a, I, I just do it. I'm shooting a, you know, a little shout out there to him. Uh, he's got great content he did a, he showed a video of somebody searching and being able to see what's in there. So yeah, don't buy sealed box toppers, but don't do that anyways. Like why are you buying sealed box toppers? Like how much are you spending? Like, what, are you going to spend $100 on a box topper? Why not just buy a box for $225 or $250? Like, forget about the box topper, man. It comes in the box. Like, don't don't spend money on that. Buy the box.
1: Uh, uh,
0: some of these boxes that you're getting at 200 ish price, do you expect some of them to, to be canceled?
5: Yeah, definitely. Because, well, okay, whoa, that's, let's chill out a second. Maybe not, okay? But what I'm hearing, okay, is low allocations. But then I'm hearing a bunch of other stuff and nobody really knows. Okay. We don't know what the allocations are, what the print run is. If it's a short print run and there's okay. small allocations, which means an allocation means, Hey, if you have a store, you can only have this many of the boxes. Okay. That's all you get. Um, and if that happens, then a lot of these things to be canceled because these guys pre-sold a bunch of them. And then they said, Oh, well, you can only have 60 boxes. Well, okay. Everybody who above 60 is just going to get canceled. And when that happens, like mass panic is going to happen because You know, everyone just thinks this stuff is just going to come from trees, you know, just falling from the air. And if there's low, um, low distribution, then, you know, it's going to be hard to get. It's going to be very expensive. And so, you know, that but but we don't know. Like the real answer is we don't know. But the danger, the only thing that's dangerous, right, is that I I guess both sides are dangerous. But depending on where you're at, right, Um, the danger comes if there's low distribution and you wanted to get a cheap box okay then you know you maybe you should be planning to get a cheap box now okay but if there's high distribution the danger comes in the singles in the ev right because uh the plan is get the box cheap open it up and sell all the stuff inside and then make money right but if there's all kinds of boxes then the price of the box is going to be low. Everyone's going to open the boxes. All this, all these singles are going to hit the market, and everyone's going to race to the bottom to try to sell it so they're not holding the hot potato. And then, you know, uh, all those singles are going to get washed out. Okay. So the window—it's—it's it's a window situation. Um, with a with a low allocation, the window is much bigger. That means you can sell those singles slowly, get your money back. You don't have to race to the bottom. If the allocation is big and there's a lot of it. Then the window's really small, like everyone's trying to jam that stuff to get the money out, you know? And then what'll happen is a big crash. Boom, There, all those singles will go down, and then everyone will get the money they're going to get. And then people are going to be like, hey, but wait a second, I want a demonic tutor. Or, hey, I need colonnades. I still need four colonnades. Like, and then the prices are just going to start going back up on that stuff, right? Because people still want to play Magic. That's the thing. That's a big problem. People like to play, you know? Derek, I got I to have you chime in here. <laughs>
1: I just, uh, I just can't imagine spending money on magic cards, and I think like MTG finance is one of the most like
2: random things that people buy into consistently that makes no absolute sense
1: uh, for the most part. And I, I I just like, yeah, I'm just blown away. Like,
5: why do you think? Why do you think it makes no sense? Like, the cards are worth money. Wouldn't it make sense?
1: I remember.
2: Before, before I got like, fairly competitive, I used to play a lot of Commander. Like, that's what we mm-hmm. play. We'd get together like two or three times a week and play Commander. And I looked up the price of Greater Good, and it was $20. Right.
1: And
2: I'm And like, okay, why is this card $20? And I like, looked at a, a price graph, and it had gone up to $20 in like two weeks from like right. literal $3 because somebody bought it out. And I was like, right. oh, I want this card. I don't want to spend $20 on it. And so I didn't buy one. And then a couple right. months later, it fell back down. And I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. Everybody's like, oh, well, supply and demand says that if I buy a bunch of greater guns, they'll go up and then people will want them. It's like, yeah, but now they're $3. Like, you just prevented me from buying one so I could play it. Like, at the end of the day, I'm still just trying to play these cards, right? Like, people are, like, people are, like, uh, using these as stocks when, when they just print another master set, the price of Goif drops in half and people are complaining. And it's like the MTG Finance guys are like all over the place, like, oh my gosh, why would Wizards sewer me like this? It's like, oh my gosh, MTG Finance isn't a real thing. It's like, <laughs> what is going on, you know?
5: Well, the greater good dropped because of Battle Bond, right? Battle Bond got printed, This the same thing we were talking about, where something gets printed and, uh, and then it drops the price of a card. So when you have something like greater good that was only printed in some low, low uh, print run sets, like I think it was like, Ninth edition or eighth edition, uh, which are core sets, very low print run. And then you have, like, I think it was Legions or was it Legions or some other set, um, which is old. Any set that's like before, like, Magic Booming, those were like really short. Pr- they were really printed less because less people played. And so, um, whenever you have a commander card, as a commander player or uh, an ex commander player, you should know that, hey, commander cards go into commander players' collections and they don't come out. They just, like, they build other decks. They just absorb cards. And so when you have, like, a Commander card like Greater Good, they're, the Commander Pleasure is just absorbing it. And until somebody gets it, until they reprint it, like, at a high pace, then that card's not going to drop. So that's just what happened there. I mean, some people, some people want to say, and, and you're one of them, and that's fine, you know, Magic Finance doesn't exist. I don't really care about Magic Finance. I don't care. You know, you want to call it Magic Finance or whatever. Here's the thing that exists, right? Cards are worth money that exists. Okay. I buy and sell cards because they're worth money that exists. Some people, they pay their rent with those cards. They tell me, Hey Medina, I need to sell my cards. Uh, Cause I need to pay some rent. Here's some cards. And I give them money for rent. Like is that magic finance? I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. Okay. It's an exchange of goods, you know, like. So <laughs> the first strike, nobody
2: knows what magic finance is. <laughs>
1: Is finance
2: just a word that's thrown around?
5: Maybe. Woo! I, I think what it is is, okay, I think what it is is it's a subculture where people find a new way to identify with Magic that is not playing the game. It's uh, it's understanding the market and the trends, and they geek out on that, and that's fine, right? It's fine. Does it affect you? Do you feel like it affects you as a player?
2: No, no, it, it affects me next to zero. Uh, it just it seems to me like... Like finance is another one of those pockets of magic where you get those people that go, actually greater good was worth $25 and I bought them for $5. Look at this price. Boom. You're have bought them. It's like, Oh man, like I don't want to deal with this. I, I just want to attack and like kill my opponent and like X3 this GP, you know, it's just <laughs> like another annoying part of magic that I don't want to deal with
5: isn't it like those guys though, or those people, right? Those players who go, uh, you know, what's your record? I'm um, well, there's three rounds. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, two owed all my matches. It's, you it's know? exactly like
1: that. Okay, it's like it. that.
5: Right. So even every, every, every echelon of the player base ha- or the user base, I guess you call it right. Cause we all use magic cards. We don't all play them. Um, has that kind of like annoying side to it, you know? And I could see that, you know, it's like, we all, we all stake our identity on something, right? And we want to be right about the thing we put our identity in, right? So if we say, you know, I'm a magic finance guy, then you got to know, man, that greater good was $25, not 20, you know? And, and then you have to point it out because that's how you, uh, you know, put your identity out there. So I understand that, man, you know,
2: I can't wait for all the finance people that are going to be listening to this podcast for you. Just like hear my stupid opinion, and they're gonna be like, "Actually, uh, magic's great for finance." Did you know that the the uh,
5: magic is great for finance? But is 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 magic finance great for magic? We don't know. That's the question, right? How
1: I think it's, about the reserve list. Oh, let's get, oh, let's get on that one.
5: Um, you know, I don't have strong feelings either way about the reserve list. It, to me, it is what it is. You have it to is- have uh, you have to have strong
2: feelings right now. You have to, you have to make an extreme statement right now about it.
5: Okay. The reserve list is a big deal in magic finance because people like things easy. Okay. So magic finance guys look at the reserve list and go, Hey, wizards isn't reprinting these cards. That means we could just buy them and they're just going to be worth infinite. Right? So that's an easy thing, right? It's so easy. Hey, you know, these cards are not going to be reprinted. Let's just buy them. So, I think there's, I think what's at play is there's different sides of magic finance. Some, you have the speculators, right? The people who are saying who, who, like you said, treat them like stocks, right? Oh, is this card going to go up? Is this card going to go down? And when you have the speculators look at the reserve list, that's like ice cream with chocolate on top because it's like perfect for them. You know, that's not going to get reprinted for me. Uh, uh, the side of magic finance that I do is not really speculation. It's just math, mathematics. Okay. I buy the cards at half price, I sell them at full price or actually, you know, 90% or 75% of the value, whatever. It's mathematics, right? I don't care if a card is going to go up. I don't care if it's going to go down. All I care about is what is the buy list price. I will buy it for that. And then I will resell it for a higher price. Now, sometimes I will hold cards because I'm like, wait a second, greater good is $3. I'm not going to sell that for $3. I'm going to throw that in a box and I'm going to wait till it's $6, you know? Okay. Sometimes I do that, but that's just like common sense. Like you're not going to go and start selling, you know, uh, I don't know what the latest one is like Lotus. What's the one out of Dominaria, Uh Gilded Lotus, right? It's like a dollar or $2 right now. I'm not going to go sell Gilded Lotuses for a dollar. Cause it's like a $10 card. So I'm just going to wait till it's $5 and I'm going to take those ones that I have in a box that I opened when I opened the Dominaria stuff. And I'm just going to put them back in the market when that happens. So that's not, to me, that's not speculation. That's just common sense. But I mean, some people just like all they do is buy cards at full price and hope that it will go up. So I don't know, reserve list, whatever, who cares? Uh, John,
0: John, why do you sound to me like last time you were on the show, we were talking about like maybe eternal masters or something. And you were probably, i had i'd have to go back and listen you were probably positive but you're just so much more enthusiastic about this ultimate masters and uh Uh,
5: because it's it's really easy to read to me the ev is so clear to me with what they've already shown now so the set would have to be just total trash. For this not to be like paying well, you know? And I don't think they did that, like, especially when you look at like the tips that they're giving us with com- uncommons, uncommons. Also, we found out Entomb is in the set, which is just like, hey, by the way, Entomb's in the set, which is a great uh, rare, you know? So to me, like, You know, as somebody who like, okay, this is like supplements my income, okay? So this is partially how like I buy diapers for my little one-year-old. You know, this is how I put food on the table. And so when I see an opportunity like this where it's going to be really something that everyone needs in some capacity right? So you got the people who are excited about the foil cards. You got the players who are excited about cheaper singles. And then you got someone like me, who's excited as an opportunity to provide that service to those people through a set that I can actually buy open and sell. Okay. When there's a set like M19 or or M2 magic 2019, I don't know what it's called, whatever. Um, when that set came out, I didn't buy any of that because I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, no rare land cycle, you know, this thing is like lots of low value here. This is trash. I'm not going to buy it because I can't resell it and make money. And it's not all about the money, but Hey, if I'm going to exercise, if I'm putting uh, effort and money into it, then I want to get uh, a payday out of it, you know, and you know, that's so, so something like that, you know, not interested in something like this makes me excited because other people are going to be excited about it. And I'm going to be happy to fill those needs. Uh, and I think it's going to do well for everyone. I think wizards can do well with it. Uh, local game stores are going to do well. Somebody on Twitter asked, Hey, what do you think about them? Sealing the box topper in the box. This is awesome. I think this is something that's actually just miles better than the way they've done it in the past. And the reason why is because local game stores will take those buy a box promos and sell them. Okay. Okay. And so like a lot of times when you're buying the box, you're not getting, or one of these things will happen. Hey, I want to buy a case. Okay. Here's your one buy a box promo and your case. Okay. So like this way, the players are actually going to get these box toppers. You know, it's not going to be something that people are going to be local game stores are going to be selling. So it, it helps the players in that case. And then it helps the local game stores because the boxes are only available at local game stores. So if you want a box topper, you have to go to the game store to buy it. So. I feel like everyone is winning here and that's why I scratch my head at all the negativity. It's like, well, big, high price. Well, you know, you don't have to opt in at that price. You know, a, you can look for a deal B you can buy the singles when they drop C you can, you know, shop around for box toppers or trade for them. You you know, the set is going to have a trickle down, which you can ride that wave at any point in that wave you want to ride it, you know? And so (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm too positive. You know, I'm not a. I'm not a wizard shield. I'm telling you guys. You know, I'm not <laughs> one of those. You know, but for reference'
0: sake, uh, John. Well, when's the last time you felt so positive about a set? This this EV oozing out like going crazy.
5: It feels a lot to me like uh, like Guilds of Ravnica, but it feels like over the top Guilds of Ravnica. Like I felt like Guilds of Ravnica was like just very layered uh which was i was really excited about these sets can't really be layered because they're reprint sets and what i mean by layered is i held a bunch of guild of ravnica cards because i felt like they would go up because i felt like there's so many good cards in this set that not all of them are getting the attention that they need so the value is going in waves right so like first of all all these mythics are expensive because they're good Right. And then when people find out Arclight Phoenix is, is good, it gets expensive, you know, so it just keeps paying. You know, that set just keeps paying. And this set won't necessarily do that because everyone knows what the cards are and what they do. But what I'm saying is from a value perspective, I feel like this feels a lot like Guilds of Ravnica in, in a value sense, but over the top, even like a notch higher. And I can't think of another time I was more excited about a set. Um, I think Battle Bond. Battle Bond was uh, was pretty exciting to me. Uh, Because of all the EDH playability. And like I said, EDH cards, those sell like nothing else. EDH sells cards, man. So like Battle Bond to me was like super interesting. Uh, It was built around mechanics that uh, fed into like EDH play and stuff like that. And the foils were like sick value too. That was one of the things is like when you have a set like Battle Bond where the foils are like massive value, it just adds that icing on the top of the EV. So the set is already strong. Look at what do we have? rare land cycle that was strong right those buddy those uh opponent lands right that come and play untapped that was a strong cycle those are selling for like seven to nine dollars right now and so like there's a strong rare cycle rare land cycle lots of strong rares you know greater good you know um we had um you know other stuff like that and then great mythics brightling you know that was another layered one right brightling didn't pop until later um You know, we had other mythics and stuff that people want to play as commanders. So I would say, like, those are kind of sets that I get excited about. Battlebond, Guilds of Ravnica, this set right here, it feels like over-the-top good.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still surprised you say Guilds, because Guilds just (laughs) happened.
5: Yeah, it was just one of those sets where, like, I I had said no to to, Magic 2019, and then when I started seeing the Guild spoiler, and I saw that the rare, you know, rare Assassin's Trophy is going to hold up The EV and we have shock lands like that's a no brainer to me. It's like yeah, all day, all day.
1: I love it. I don't don't know if Elliot and you have questions.
3: I don't really have any questions. (laughs) I only had a position on MTG Finance that all it is is MTG Finance is MTG Finance ripping off other MTG Finance. Everyone just speculates on cards and then eventually a card's twenty dollars, but I got all these twenty dollar bills. Who wants them? And he's like, that's a thirty dollar bill, give me that. And then eventually they're like, hey kid, you want this thirty dollar bill? And he's like, I don't have thirty dollars. It's just a, a really annoying
2: hashtag.
5: <laughs> and and I think I think your your guys' criticism is fair, you know? I think a lot of that happens. And but but again, you're focusing on the speculator side, right? There's a whole other side, which is like Not speculation, it's just commerce, right? It's just how cards get into the players' hands like you guys, how people like Sal run a whole business on what is essentially true magic finance, right? It's it's him understanding the market, right? I mean, that's great, that's good for everyone, you know. That's how you get to wear a face-to-face games hat, you know? Magic finance pays your bills, bro. (laughs) How do we think how do you think we have GPs and stuff like that? You know, you think Channel Fireball came out of the out of the ground no it came out of magic finance man channel fireball is a is a card seller you know that's in 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 essence there's a lot of uh pieces of magic finance not only speculation but some of the criticism is due right and some of the, the magic finance guys are super cocky right it, it's kind of just this weird i don't know like uh nobody likes anybody who's super cocky right you don't just you don't like that you know it's kind of it feels weird you know and uh yeah, I've been guilty of that too myself. So, I mean, nobody liked me. Maybe <laughs> nobody still does like me. I don't know. <laughs> I love the high energy. I know some, some people are turned away by that. Um, Who's turned
0: away? I, I, don't know. I don't know. I think... Name him, man. Name them. Who did it? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like... <laughs> um, I think we, we, we've... Uh, we're going to wrap things up, uh, John, but love your enthusiasm. Got Got your message. I think... I'm more hyped about the set than I originally was because of, of just hearing you being so excited about it. Um, I, I want to give you a chance to, to plug whatever I think, other projects that you might have going on. Is there an update on Puka Tree you want to, you want to talk about? And-
5: uh yeah, I think uh Puka Trade is a you know, we're working on a new feature with Puka Trade. We're trying to make Puka Trade easier for people to use. Um there's a, a lot of problems with Puka Trade and we we have to unpack that someday. This is probably not the podcast for that. But um you know, the the steps that we're taking I'm really excited about. I feel like uh they're going to reward the people who have the the Puka points right now and uh you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write those people, you know. Um and so um that's my whole goal and I'm seeing that start to kind of come to fruition, but it's gonna be a super slow thing. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint, it's gonna take a long time. We have very little resources and we're doing the best we can with what we have. So that's the update on Puka Trade. Um, you know, I have a lot of other projects in the in the irons in the fire. If you want to find out more about those, uh just my Twitter is super active. It's at uh Medina underscore MTG. Is that right? Is that the Twitter? I think that's it. At medina m-e-d-i-n-a underscore m-t-g and you can ask me questions on there or whatever if you if you or if you think i'm wrong that's totally cool like just shoot me a message telling me i'm wrong and that's fine like i like to hear dissenting opinions because it helps me to uh fine tune and t- figure out like hey maybe i did kind of go overboard there maybe that is suspicious or whatever you know <laughs>
0: um have, i mean, i haven't asked you i haven't talked to you about this in a while have you put like board game creating on the shelf
5: for now, or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was creating a board game. I, I made a board game called the uh, the Big Dig. It's actually a like a, a kind of like a deck builder, and it's an archaeology game. Um, I sent it to a publisher to take a look. As my friend, I said, "Hey, can you look at this? Tell me, am I just crazy that like that this might be good, or is it like?" is it actually good? And he said, I'm about one revision away from getting it ready for like a publisher to look at it. He said like, he would be interested in it if I, if I put it in one direction and he knew somebody who would be interested in it as it is. So if I wanted to talk to them, I could get, get it to the next step. But uh, what happened after that is that I took on the, 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 um, project of Puka trade and that the game design stuff has kind of been Put on the shelf i have some changes that i want to make to the big dig but i never went back and did it so when i find some time to do that you know i will do that but right now you know the selling magic cards puka trade this is the stuff that's paying the bills the game design even if i do make a great game it's not going to pay the bills it's not going to make any money it's just going to it's for the love you know what i mean it's not for for real dollars you know
1: so. <laughs> Back
5: to the, uh, hello vlog.
0: <laughs> is anybody listening? Is anybody Remember watching? that? Yeah.
5: yeah. Hello. Who's, who's listening? Is, anyone, is anybody there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, uh, yeah. Like the advice some people give that you, you should vlog every day, but like not if no one's watching ever.
5: <laughs> yeah. I think it's like with a vlog, it's like, I don't know. You have to have something to say, right? Like, and you have to love it because it's just like streaming. Do you guys, do you guys stream? Right. Most of you guys. No streamer. There's
1: our our number one streamer on on this, on this panel.
5: Okay. So, so streaming can be a slog, man. It's like, you have to be dedicated to do it regularly. And if you don't love it, it just becomes like, ah, I'm not going to do that. You know, you just fall off the train, man. Same thing with, you know, vlogging or making board games or whatever.
1: I can't wait! I can't wait for more vlogs. Actually, Derek, I can't wait
0: for more vlogs that don't start like upside down. That would be (laughs) that would be sweet. Listen, Um,
2: listen. I got I got a little bit of coverage from Montreal. When we go to Milwaukee next month, Uh, I don't know what's in Milwaukee other than like cheese. If we have any Milwaukee listeners, if you could (laughs) shoot me a a, uh, mention, tell me like what's
1: in Milwaukee other than cheese and beer. I have a sensitive stomach. Uh, Yeah, and I'll vlog some there.
0: Sweet. Well, I actually look forward to that stuff. Um, and uh okay, any any anything else? Um Andy Elliot, Dirk, anything else you guys want to mention? I just want to say,
2: uh, for the record, uh a couple casts ago, Elliot said that nobody would play for assassins trophies in their deck, and uh, I would just like to say that Elliot was right. And uh that's the only time you're gonna get that, Elliot. So you yeah. better
1: like it now. Well, I didn't see that ending coming?
3: <laughs>
5: we should clip that.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was. He was right about that. We we dumb. We dumb.
4: Big brain energy.
3: Okay, John. John, you gotta settle
0: this debate. How many? How many cards that you would have to be able to scry for it to equal drawing a card?
5: It's like three, right?
0: Three. The answer, uh, Elliot, uh, was, that, was it three for you?
4: That's what I said. I said, There's no amount. Said, it's said, not sir, a real card. A
2: card. It's not a real card. Yeah, but like it's the virtual, virtual card
5: advantage, advantage. thing. There it's we go. A like, card is it's just it's not real. It's not, it's not quantifiable. Yeah, but, but say that when you draw land, right? When you what draw am I drawing this
1: land?
4: Okay, yeah. Derek. Like, we started off the podcast with you complaining about flooding out against Andy, where if you had some extra card filter along the way, who knows what could have happened? The
2: thing about flooding out is that my cards aren't powerful to make of the flood. If I have tireless tracker, it doesn't matter if I flood. It has to do with based on the power of the other cards in my deck. Your virtual card advantage is based on the power level of the cards in your deck. It's not real quantifiable card advantage.
5: Yeah, so but like, then you get into all kinds of other stuff because tireless tracker is a tempo thing, right? Because like, tempo, if you don't, don't,
2: don't say tempo,
5: no, no, it is it is a timing thing because yeah, it's card advantage if you can crack the clues, right? But if you can't crack the clues, if you play a tireless tracker and then die, what did it do for you? Nothing, right? Right, but
2: then you're talking about card advantage in like an aggro versus a control setup.
5: Where, yeah, that's why I say there's a lot of facets here. We're, we're like, traversing these, all these facets. So,
4: like, but there's multiple ways where you can create a virtual card advantage. One of them is your cards being powerful enough to make up for the fact that you're losing cards by flooding out. And the other one is having cards that increase your card selection, and that way you don't flood out. And so there's, there's two avenues. One is you can play black-green, you can play some explorer creatures to maybe help you filter your draws. But you play a bunch of powerful mythics at to the top end and find finality to catch you back up. And that's how you create your card advantage and virtual card advantage. The other option is you play cards that have surveil on them. You play cards, you play more cards with uh, with Explore, maybe Path to Discovery. And your average draw step is more powerful than your opponents because you're filtering your cards. And you can approach that more powerful average draw by having better cards in your deck, like the Boros Angels deck, where their average card is high quality, whether it's a land or a Lyra, there's a big difference there. Or you play a bunch of more middle of the pack, but you're more likely to get the high end because you're filtering your draws. And that's how virtual card advantage works. That's why surveilling cards is approaching drawing a card. Yes, you can surveil 20 cards and you never actually have a card in your hand, but the next card you draw is worth more.
2: Just saying virtual card advantage is a poor excuse for not understanding what card advantage actually is. Because virtual card advantage isn't actually quantifiable. Hence the word virtual.
1: Hmm. Derek,
4: what would you rather have? Five lands in your hand or three lands, two spells? <laughs> Which is
1: it? Depends on the circumstance. Maybe I, maybe I want lands in my hand.
5: Maybe he has a seismic assault and the person's at six. Then three yeah, lands. Maybe, maybe like, I have yeah. a
2: tireless tracker in my hand. Like, What are these two spells? Are, they, assaults. are they one with nothing? Like, do I have one with nothing and three lands? Is this what we're on right now?
5: No, wait, it's, okay. I, I've always believed in virtual card advantage, but like, I guess that is a that is a good point. Like, what is it? Like, <laughs> oh God! Oh no, Elliot, in you
1: know? Medina.
5: <laughs> but but like, what is it, right? Because if it's virtual, does it is it actual card advantage?
4: It's no, increasing right? the quality of your no. next card draw, so you never get the actualized card advantage. Surveilling a card will never put a card into your hand.
2: But that's not real like, card. Advantage. But
4: wait, but like, think about. All the cards in your deck being rated on a scale of 0 to 10,
1: right? Oh, I understand. So
4: you, you get to a point where a land is worth 0 and your mythic's worth 10. So mm-hmm. each of, in a super basic example, let's say your deck's 30 of each. Your average draw is going to be a 5. But if before you draw, you get to scry one, you've increased the value of your next draw because you're that much more likely to have a mythic.
5: But would that be like draw advantage instead of card advantage?
4: Sure, but I mean, you can name it whatever you want. It's called Virtual Card Advantage before I gave it that title, so I'm but calling it Virtual Card advantage.
1: That's,
2: virtual like draw aggro, advantage. that's like the aggro versus control theory, right? Like, the control deck has real card advantage, but the aggro deck has card advantage by killing the control deck before they get to use those cards. That's like another card advantage theory. And the same thing with, like, aggro versus midrange, or like, even in this format now, like, the white decks, like they'll kill you before you get to cast every card in your hand, even though they haven't drawn more cards than you you're not using your cards efficiently
5: That sounds really weird to me, it feels like we're calling everything card advantage I I burned you before you could do anything that's card advantage, that's not card advantage that you just killed them
2: No, if if we both have 15 cards and I cast all 15 of my cards and you only cast 10, in theory I have card advantage, that's a, a way to evaluate virtual card advantage but it's right. not an actual card
5: advantage, right? So, like, wouldn't the dead guy have the card advantage? Because, like, he'd have all these cards in his hand, but he'd be dead, and you would have an empty hand. But you just burned him, right? So, like, he's got the card advantage, but it doesn't matter because he's dead. Yeah, well, that's that's the it's whole like, card advantage
4: doesn't strictly just involve cards in hand, right? You could have like when you play a creature, it's not negative card advantage. You're just transferring the resource from your hand to play. And the idea of killing your opponent is card advantage for you is you know, yeah, they have maybe more cards in their hand, but you've kind of made them discard the cards because they don't get them. They're dead.
2: Yeah, I mean like literal card event, like literal card count. Like the aggro decks don't have a very good way to normally get cards, but they kill their opponent before their cards actually have
5: value. Yeah, value, okay.
2: That's why like the burn decks in modern are like never bad. Because like you can play like dredge and it doesn't matter what you do if Burn kills you with all seven of their cards before you get to dredge and kill
1: your opponent,
5: right? Yeah, but dredge doesn't have card advantage, right? Does it?
4: That's a, like, oh, that's one. a, that's a good one, right? Because like, if you dredge cards to your cards graveyard,
5: is that virtual card advantage? Because you have all those cards in your graveyard, even though they're not in your hand? That's I like Milling a
4: faithless looting is
5: card advantage. <laughs> it sounds like we have all this figured out. I mean... Totally it's just—it's it's a really
2: deep theory. Anyway, surveilling is not card advantage. Virtual card advantage is a fake concept. Don't buy into it. It's like MTG finance.
5: All right. Fifth next week, so sad.
4: Next week on the First Strike Nation will be a two-hour-long lecture where I explain card advantage <laughs> so that even people like Derek can ex- understand.
0: White presentation. I love this ending. I thought like Derek was like trashing MTG finance, and then it's like. He sort of brings John to his side of, of the card advantage discussion. Gold, I look forward to clipping parts of this and then tagging D-Rude and Gabe Sang. Wanted to get their thoughts on that. I think both of you are probably just agreeing but disagreeing on, on the, the actual concept and how it's used, I guess. But uh, <laughs> because, because Elliot makes sense to me.
2: No, no, no. I, I, I told Elliot he was only going to be right once and he's already gotten it. So he's just wrong this time. Alrighty.
5: Okay, so tune in two weeks from now when he calls back this discussion and says Elliot was right again.
0: And then, and then we'll call back again when we see how, how good Ultimate Master
1: does.
5: Right. <laughs> and when they start to figure out that Magic Finance is their friend, you know, and not, and not their enemy, you know. <laughs>
1: All right, for,
0: uh, Andy. Any last words? Get me out of here! All right, for, for Andy Elliott, John, I. Well, we'll see you next week. Uh, definitely hit the like button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Face to Face games YouTube channel, to to get all our episodes um, and get notified. Hit that notification bell. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com/firststrike. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.